Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Today, we welcome home Troy Goodfellow, who just spent a week in the land of the Vikings doing Viking things, like attending staff meetings and making video games. Troy, how was the Arctic North? I am so tired. Uh, still a bit jet lag. It was a very, very good week uh, with my friends and colleagues at Paradox. Uh, I'm very glad to be home, though, and having a chance to come on the podcast. Though there was a lot of podcast chatter uh, at the office. We have uh, understandably quite a few fans uh, there. And they all really like Rob and put up with me. Well, my ears were burning for a solid week, so now I understand <laughs> why. Uh, we also welcome back our friend Fraser Brown. Hello. Finally, we have first-time guest Tim McDonald of PC Invasion. Tim, welcome to the show. Uh, good evening. I'm very happy and terrified to be here. Uh, as well you should be, because you you might be the representative, really positive <laughs> person uh, called upon to defend your, defend your opinion and feelings and emotions uh, for a solid hour, but we'll get to that. Uh, so today's topic has been brewing for a little while. A few months ago, some 3MA listeners reached out to ask if I'd heard of a game called Thea the Awakening from Muha Games. Then more people asked about it, and then it won our 3MA backer poll and moved to the top of our agenda for this month, and then Rock, Paper, Shotgun asked me to review it. And so a lot of us have been playing around with it and, and trying it out, and it's it's sort of the uh, the it game of, of I think, the, the, the 4X space right now. And I think it's proving to be a, a little bit divisive. And I don't just mean, like, in terms of uh, my opinion versus, like, Troy's opinion and Tim's, uh, but... I spent, it took me seven and a half hours to write my review because my own thoughts on it were all over the map. It took me forever to really pin down why I was having the reaction I was having. Uh, before we dig into that, we should talk about what Thea is and, and, and what sort of sets it apart. And, uh, you know, uh, Fraser, I'll, I'll, I'll toss it to you first because, you know, you were, you were just in touch the other day saying that you were really struggling to, to come to grips with it, but you'd had a breakthrough. So I'd love to hear you talk about both uh, what you sort of figured out about Thea, about what it is, and then also maybe why you sort of struggled to, to get a grasp on it. Yeah, it, it, it's hard because I think it's easy for everyone to just say, well, this game is like this other game. But you can't do that with Thea because you can say elements of it are like other games, but the whole is fairly unique. It's part card game, part 4X game. It's got a pinch of RPG. It's it's a lot of different things just kind of put in one big cauldron. Um, and really, it that makes it quite difficult to get to grips with. Um, because you're you're trying to get into a different mindset every time you interact with each of these different elements. Um, so I find it kind of a bit weird at first, and I I really did struggle to understand what was going on. It's not that it's difficult. I don't think it really is a difficult game. Uh, it's just that I I didn't really gel with it until maybe a couple of hours. Like I really I kind of started to understand what. Muha were, were trying to do. Um, but when looking at each aspect separately, I, I came to the conclusion that I don't like any of them. I, I actually do like Thea, though. I like it as a whole. But each individual part is, well, frankly, a little bit shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the card game gets boring after a couple of hours, frankly, and they try to spice it up a little bit you can you use the cards to to battle each of your uh, your characters 
who can be in your expedition, which you send out to explore the world of Thea and, and make camps so you can gather resources and then send them back to your single town. Um, they, they'll get into little battles, but sometimes you might choose to uh, hunt instead of fight or sneak or be sociable and chat to an enemy. But really, each battle plays out very much the same uh, and it quickly becomes quite dull. Right away, it's interesting. You you jump straight to the card game, uh, which yeah. which was one of my issues. But the the odd thing is, I, I think you're right. There is this difficulty, like saying, well, what is what is the heart of Thea? What's Thea about? Because it it's not really about any one thing. The, the card game is a huge part of it. But then I see a lot of other people are playing Thea and basically auto resolving everything. So for them, the game's something uh, very different. And I I kind of agree with them because I ended up in in a, a bit of an auto resolving uh, rut as well. Uh, and so for me, it became this, uh, uh, you know, not quite not quite difficult enough to be, not quite like tense enough. I think to be like a classic roguelike uh, for me. And maybe I wasn't hard pressed enough to call it a survival game. Uh, I think for me, it became more about it became more of a um, resource scavenger hunt in some ways like the entire game was about uh sort of creating this sort of scaffolding my 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 party and my resources up and their equipment up uh so that i could fulfill uh more difficult challenges and and difficult quests and so for me that's sort of the that's sort of what thea was for me and then there was a card game sort of bolted onto it uh troy tim uh, i i'm curious like if you had to sum up like what thea is uh you know what would what what would you tell someone it's about death. Jeez, Troy. Troy. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost Christmas, Troy. What are you saying? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a game about, I mean, they call it a survival game. And when I first encountered the game, people were describing me, it to me as a 4X. And it really isn't a 4X. I mean, you would look at it and it's got hexes and move armies around. And your first thought is, oh, that's what a 4X is. It's tile-based, it, you know, looks kind of civish, but there's no expansion at all you get the one village three and a half axes yeah and the the, the map exists for you to send out these expeditions and as you said you know gather resources and it's very dangerous out there um the map isn't set up it's kind of roguelike-ish and but it's not really set up like a roguelike because in a roguelike you know the top few levels are a little bit easier and the further you go down things are much more dangerous for you occasionally in a roguelike you'll get a really like a net hack or dungeon crawl you'll get a nasty beastie and level one or two and it will kill you but generally uh things are supposed to be relatively easy here you know you there are just monsters all over the place and your expeditions will get wiped out and your medic will die first your medic will always always die first uh (laughs) but the, the game is about you know keeping your uh, village alive, making sure it's got enough food. When your expedition, making sure it has enough food and fuel to gather more things to bring back for, we'll talk about this later, I hope, the very vague purpose of developing your village for some reason. Um, and trying to solve the mystery of what happened to the world. It has this role-playing adventure game mystery to it. And each god has, you know, different powers and abilities. And I'm not quite sure if this, how much the story is different for each deity, uh, or not. Uh, so it's a tiny bit different. Yeah. Um, but it's I, more like I, you can choose to make it different because, I mean, you can play the same deity over yeah. again. Where they actually suggest that because you can level up your deity yeah. over yeah. the course of various yeah, games. Yeah, but it's also a survival game. It really is a game about trying to live as long as you can and gather as many exotic resources as you can. And, you know, it's if, if it is 
You know, yeah, it's, it's a resource collection game and to build better, shinier things. I mean, it would be nice if, you know, you could look down at your city and or your town and see it expand a little bit better because you don't just have these pictures. It's a very low, uh, graphically intensive game. It'd be nice if there's a little more chrome to it. But I really kind of like, um, I mean, Fraser's kind of right that each of the individual elements is kind of rubbish, but they come together in this very weird and I think enchanting package uh, that I'm not quite sure it's a really good game, but I think it's one of those games people should probably check out. Tim, what did you think in general about how the did the systems work for you? I would largely agree. Um, I wouldn't go quite as depressingly as you didn't say it's about death, but I would say it's about failure. Um, some of the most fun I had with the game was actually sticking it onto the hardest difficulty possible, putting everything uh, as hard as imaginable and trying to survive for as long as I could. Uh, and I mean, that gets really hard really quickly. I wound up with huge bands of horrible monsters attacking my settlement within about 30 turns. Um, and that forced me to think very, very carefully about how I wanted to focus my research, how, I, how far out I wanted to send my expeditions, whether I wanted to build a watchtower so that I had a bit more advanced warning of incoming packs of monsters. Um, yeah, it's in terms of its individual elements, um, I, I'd largely agree with you, I think, uh, that they aren't amazing. Um, some of them are a lot more annoying than the others, but they do all somehow come together to make something that is much greater than, frankly, it has any right to be. Um, I mean, sort of on its own, the pseudo-4x gameplay doesn't quite work. The, the roguelike sense of levelling up the gods as you replay the game again and again doesn't really work. The card game does get a little bit dull, though I think I, I, think I like that more than anyone else here. Um... But nonetheless, all of this does sort of, it, it comes together to form something that is extremely compelling in a very weird way. It's interesting that both of you kind of put this focus on survival. Um, now, I didn't crank it up for highest difficulty. Um, I played a few, uh, few games and, uh, on, on normal and uh, um, hard or whatever it is. Um, and I felt that the survival elements just disappeared after the first hour. Um, my my village never had any problems. And I, when I'm talking about survival, I'm not just talking about surviving against monsters, but just general survival, um, having the resources that you need to keep on trucking. Um, and it was the same for my expeditions. It would be like, very rarely would I get into a situation where my expedition ran out of fuel or food because I had so much of it. Um, I could just give the expedition this gargantuan... I don't know how they could bloody carry all of these <laughs> carrots. Um, and they would just go off on the other side of the map and have it for ages. And if there's a moment where I get this alert and it's like, oh, by the way, all of your lovely villagers that you've sent off are, are starving to death, well, then I would just make camp right next to one of the 80 billion food nodes scattered around the world. And within a few turns, I would have stores filled with tomatoes and slightly more exotic food. See, it's it's certainly true that there are lots and lots of resource nodes scattered around the map, and you will uncover yet more as the game goes on if you actually delve down that side of the resource tree. Uh, but on the higher difficulties, 
it's it's easy to get enough resources to keep your village intact. Um, I think every village always starts near a source of fuel and a source of food. Um, but there are various other little tweaks to this system, like uh, you get bonuses if you have more than one food type available. And so again, on the higher difficulties, before you're going into difficult challenges, it can be good to stock up your expedition with all sorts of different types of food, uh, using the cooking system to combine sort of the, the meat and the vegetables to make soup, um, because that will confer extra bonuses if they have more food types available to them. Yeah, this is, um, you know, when we talk about like, the, the weirdly compelling quality of Thea at times, uh, I, I look at the, the food system as one of those things because I definitely did work the uh, food variety angle. And also, it's more like a bit like um, a bit like the board game Agricola. Uh, a lot of Thea is about converting resources into more efficient forms of those resources. So with the food system, you could just eat raw ingredients and just like you know shove like raw meat and raw vegetable into your into your village and, and they'll be and they'll be happy and and they even like it a little bit uh but you can also cook all these little dishes by sort of mixing and matching your your various ingredients and then suddenly you've got this huge food variety uh that's also i'm not sure i'm not sure i haven't done the math on this but i think actually your yield for cooked food is a little higher uh than if it's raw ingredients but i know it weighs it less uh, so it's it's really good to sort of pack your expeditions along uh, with with lots of of cooked food, uh, so that they have more room to to gather resources. and And that was a a silly thing and very trivial, actually. I didn't find it difficult to keep my my village or my or my expeditions uh, in a good place in terms of food variety. But my my inner hobbit was wildly pleased uh, at cooking <laughs> all of these like Eastern European dishes. Uh, for my for my soldiers, making them like a little tuna tartare, and uh, ooh, like what's this? We've got a nice stew. Um, oh, would you like some 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 rabbit with rosemary? Uh, stuff like that. That was weird. Like again, weirdly fun and satisfying. But what was missing in a lot of that was uh, was a sense of peril. But but so just just before we we uh, did this podcast, I, I started a new game, and. I saw something very different in terms of uh, distribution of not resources, but what my starting uh, party looked like. In most other games that started, uh, my, my party was was very similar uh, to from one starting position to another. Uh, this time, for whatever reason, I had like no good gatherers. You're 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 ah. Uh, uh, there might be a reason for that, Rob. When yes. you start a game, you can select three. Uh, kind of types of villagers you can select warriors gatherers or craftsmen so basically you, you so my first game it was warriors so my expedition was predominantly made up of warriors which meant that i actually had to sort of seduce people into my village so i could attach them into my expedition and give them some gatherers so they were actually not starving every bloody turn um warriors is actually apparently i read on the forums a more difficult way to start um it means that yeah you're going to be getting into scraps and dealing with that more easily but you won't necessarily have like the the crafting side or the cooking side sorted 
So maybe you selected a different one by mistake? I, I may have, because uh, I think usually I started uh, with a focus on uh, crafters, actually. But this was like a... like it defaults to warriors, which is unusual. Which I, I never did, because I did want to take care of the resource thing fairly early. I probably mm. did warriors this time, because I did have a couple high-level fighters uh, that were just making minced meat uh, out, of, out of the monsters I was encountering. But the point is, when I didn't have good gatherers uh, suddenly... Uh, it, it became much more difficult for my for my expedition to actually gather any resources because while there were nodes everywhere uh, and actually some really great like farming territory right nearby uh, where you get you know two ver two forms of meat and uh, fruit it would have been great uh, nobody could no, none of my warriors had had mastered the technology of the whisk wicker basket <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was just a little bit beyond them, and so it took them like they took them like four turns of sitting stationary to get some like crummy, like terrible little pile of, of fruit together. They mostly ate while they were waiting for their other resources to, to finish harvesting. But it, it did it did change the uh, change the uh, feel of, of that game from from the other ones I played. So, but something else I, I want to talk about is um. This is a game where I, I I felt like I would have enjoyed it quite a bit more if I hadn't had that roguelikey that faux roguelikey aspect forced on me, uh, because there were just this is a this is a game where your character development and the improvement of your party members, like a lot of RPGs, is hugely important. And if you lose mm -hmm. high level people, uh, not only are you losing their their abilities in combat, but in a lot of cases you're losing the ability to fulfill a lot of other types of challenges even. And so your, your, your options really narrow down swiftly. And I didn't even feel that it was that roguelikey though. I mean, yeah, you, there is permadeath amongst your villagers and your expeditions and things like that. Although you could just, you can just fire up an old save. I mean, you only get one save, but you can, you know. Scum saving? Come on. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm I, saying you yeah. can, if, if you don't, because Rob's saying he didn't like it. I'm saying that's an option. <laughs> I'm not saying I would ever do that. God, that would be sure, terrible. Really, yeah. <laughs> I, I, definitely none of us ever did that while we were playing this game. No, I, I, I totally did uh, use that use that option. Though that usually involves replaying a large uh, swath of the game that can be pretty dreary as well. But I, I think for me it was just a case where I didn't. It didn't really add anything. It just became sort of an annoying, like poke in the eye, right? Where it was like, look, I am just trying to figure out how this game works and see what happens next in the story. And what, and this is, this is, I think what ultimately sort of drove me away from the game. Once I figured out how each aspect of the game worked, I didn't really care anymore. Like it was kind of done. Like, you know, it was, it was one of those things where as I repeated stuff, um, you know, it was, it was pretty much all smooth sailing up until the, the part of the game where I got into trouble the last time. And on my second go round, I would I would figure that out and, and and continue forward. So it was just like, can we can we skip over that part where I have to do all this repetitious crap uh, to to sort of get my new village into the place where my old village was? Uh, because it, it's not really unlike a lot of roguelikey permadeath games where there's always this element of tension, right? Where even low level encounters, there's still this awareness of oh boy, I better better get this right. This is really sort of demanding. I know how to do it now. But I still really need to, to nail the execution. Uh, here, it became very, very, you know, very rote, very paint by numbers. And 
part of that is down to the way the card combat system works, the, the, the card resolution system works. I don't know that I agree with you. Okay. Um, oddly enough, I found it a bit more like Civilization, insofar as I actually found the start of the game a lot more entertaining than the end. I liked starting a new village and exploring outwards and figuring out how I was going to have to use my uh, research tree um, to make the most of what I had nearby. Um, whereas late game, on the other hand, once I'd kind of reached the tipping point where I had an expedition that absolutely nothing could kill, that was the point when it got incredibly boring and micromanagement intensive. Um, I, I tended, in before we get on to the, the card game aspect, I actually tended to treat it almost like playing um, Firaxis's XCOM on Iron Man. Um, where there was always a chance that I would completely screw everything up and there would be absolutely no hope of me coming back from the brink. Um, and that worked a, a lot better for me for whatever reason. Um, it did mean that sort of taking on a, a three skull or a four skull encounter for the first time was actually quite worrying because there was a good chance I would lose three or four very important people to that. And if that happened, then I would be set back hugely. Um, but then I suppose that comes down to how you find the card game, because that's how all of the encounters are actually resolved. Um, and I know that's something that you aren't particularly a fan of. There, there are a few things I didn't care for uh, with the card game. One is that it's a card game where having more people in your party uh, is just a straight up advantage, just having a, having a bigger deck. Uh, is is a straight up advantage, which is you know, which is fine, but then it also turns into a little more of a a, a weight of numbers exercise. Now, once you get past that, though, the other thing is a lot of your your interesting card abilities because the way the card game works is on the left hand side of your hand, you've got your your offense cards, which is uh, people being used directly in combat, uh, and you just put them down, and they have a defense value, uh, hit points basically, and then they have an attack value. On the right-hand side, this is sort of where things get more interesting. You have your tactics hand, uh, which is where all your characters who are in that half of the hand uh, have a variety of, of special abilities. So they can confuse uh, another opponent uh, that's just been played. And so they'll miss out on their first uh, attack uh, in, in the first round of combat. Uh, you can remove another card from the player's hand. But all of this is sort of dependent on the person the 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 character uh the the character on the card has to have the correct level uh for those abilities to work uh on opponents so if you have a confused level five and you're in a higher level encounter where your where your opponents are uh you know like sixes and sevens uh you won't be able to do that which Usually, like sometimes the game does a good job of throwing in a good mix of, uh, you know, your your enemy your enemy cards are are in a certain band of uh of level, and you'll you'll have to sort of rely a little bit on luck, a little bit on guesswork to to know uh, when it is a good time to use an ability, and you think you'll have a good chance of success. But then there's a lot of encounters where one of two things happens: uh, you're either way over leveled, and you can basically do whatever you want. Or you're way underleveled, in which case all your abilities, you're, you're playing a card game, but it's a card game where nothing actually works, where all your cards you might as well just set on fire. Uh, and so it's just, it was a card game where 
I had trouble. It was very rare. I found it existing in a sweet spot where it was really close, uh, a close encounter. Where I was really using uh, those the 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 card the card game tactics. Uh, a lot of times, it was more a matter of just sort of executing things I'd, I'd done a million times before because I knew I knew they worked and and, and they would because at this level, uh, that's just how the encounters worked. It's sad because. You often you you get new new characters joining your your village or your expedition, and some of them are are, are very interesting. You might get like a, a giant boar or a demon or an orc or a ghost or something like that, and that's it's really cool. And you get really excited. You wonder what abilities will, will this character have? Oh, it's exactly the same ones that your humans have. There there doesn't never feels like a, a great deal of variety. Um, I mean, you might have like an extra bonus or something which gives you like leech or poison or something like that, but it never felt like the card game grew with the rest of the game. Uh, and so in my second game, I have, I just auto resolved every battle. I just couldn't be bothered. It took too long to go through a card game every single time I was getting in a fight because you will fight a great deal. Um, it just slowed the game down, and I'd, I'd stopped being entertained by it. And I'd seen every, absolutely every configuration of monsters and abilities you're going to get in the game. So I was just done. But at the same time, like I'm not sure how you could auto resolve everything because the problem is, and this could be frustrating at times. The auto resolve sometimes took a bloodier beating than was really yeah. appropriate for uh, the 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 type of encounters. So there were times I was like, how did how did you manage to get that warrior nearly killed? Like you there, you had yeah. so much crowd control. How the hell did they deal that much damage? Well, and so I was sort of, I started to take the field a lot. Yeah, that's kind of standard with you know auto resolve though, right? I mean every yeah that's kind of the the, the payoff. Yeah. You sac you sacrifice time by accepting the AI is going to suck at the game, penalize you for not playing along. Happens in Total War. Happened in Imperialism. Just if you're not there to command them, uh, but I, I'm with Fraser. I just could not be bothered after a certain point. It's I'll I'll take the bloodiness. I'll take you know the I'll take the death because um, I'm more interested in sending my guys out and gathering magic wood and special flowers and herbs instead of you know yeah, playing. Got to get that elven wood. <laughs> I got to get the elven wood. Everyone elves like their wood. Uh, <laughs> and playing the resource collection game and then making sure my guys, my expedition gets back safely through. A place I thought I'd cleared, but is now infested with, you know, hordes of bats and snakes again. Um, there are a lot of encounters in this game. And I think, I guess, you know, if you didn't find the game all that risky or dangerous, maybe because I played a lot on auto-resolve. So maybe just making that choice makes the game riskier and increases the danger instead of, you know, playing it safe with this, you know, silly, poorly designed card game. So I felt as well, though, I really backed up my group, my expedition by really getting into the crafting system big time. So yeah. when I was sending them out, I, they were decked out in yeah. incredible gear with swords that have like obsidian and they're all stealthy. Yeah, but, so but, in fact, but you, like, you got to get out there. If you're lucky, you'll have obsidian around you. Most of the time, you'll have nothing around you. You'll have to go. Yeah. You'll have to walk quite a ways for that obsidian. Well, often uh, you get it as like a sort of reward in a battle yeah. as well. Yeah, um, you get some obsidian or an obsidian weapon, and yeah, it's all about yeah. There's, there's a lot of you know kidding your guys out and making sure you're. Oh my, I man, I just made a leather shirt. Who gets to wear the leather shirt? <laughs> and, you know, this is actually you know pretty important getting your party all set up right. I felt more like a quartermaster than a god, to be honest. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely with that with that uh, inventory system. Tim, you were going to say something about the card game though. 
Um, I, I was going to say that uh, I auto-resolved every battle that I could. Um, and I always auto-resolved battles against bees because bee hordes are the most nightmarish thing in the game. Really <laughs> weirdly difficult. And the, in the difficulty, uh, the, the, so you get, you get encounter difficulty measured uh, by these skulls. And Thea itself doesn't always seem to have the best understanding of how difficult <laughs> an encounter will be. Because, yeah... I had I had a really and this is this is one of those moments where I was like give me, you you bastards you give me a goddamn <laughs> save option or I'm gonna hunt you down like I'm gonna put a contract out on you uh, because I went after a stupid hive it was a stupid hive full of mean bees and <laughs> I had an amazing party like people kitted out just you know to the nines there was like. 10 people and it was huge it was just a, it, was a, it was it wasn't even it was an expedition it was a full-on army my village was empty uh <laughs> and i sh i go i go to this i go to this battle and there's like <laughs> i swear to god there the, the hand uh for the for this beehive must have been like 20 cards or something it was ridiculous <laughs> and so the problem was there just wasn't and 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 they had like nasty stingers like there were a few bees in there that like could really do some serious damage and when they uh because they use uh piercing damage uh they sort of have a an effect where when they're first played they inflict damage as well uh which is which is sort of a special ability of that class of weapon and so there were a million of them they were all doing these these for the these this damage on 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 the moment they're played, uh, and I was just sort of I, I got zerged. There were there were too many cards. I won the encounter, uh, but I had people like just absolutely destroyed by this fight with a stupid beehive. Uh, and this is after we're just like destroying <laughs> demons right and left. It was great, and like this the game told me like oh yeah this this is this is a three skull encounter. And I was I was having no problem with those, so this is going to be easy. Nope. This was totally different because it turns out they just had a million cards and uh, there was no way for me to sort of control that crowd. And I had people uh, dying of their wounds like right and left after that. It was it made me real angry, still angry about it. Um, <laughs> really? Because well, both because like, OK, one, it's just sort of like it didn't it didn't measure the difficulty real well in that situation. But the other thing was this. It was just, it was a case where I really just wanted a reload option because I didn't feel like I lost like four really high level characters. And I was at a point in, game, point in the game where the monsters that were sort of wandering through my territory uh, were not monsters that like new characters could really be farming experience on. And so it was it was a real body blow and it was going to basically like put my game into stasis or start a death spiral. Uh, and it was like, you know, just like for this one encounter, like, I don't feel like, I don't feel like replaying the last three hours of the session. I don't feel like starting a new village. <laughs> just give me a goddamn save. Yeah. But you can't, you I, can just save it yourself. I mean, there's that option. Yeah. But always, yeah. I mean, I could have, I could have saved before that encounter. Uh, yeah. but that would have required me knowing that a beehive yeah. <laughs> uh, was going to be the absolute worst thing in this world. I have a horrific fear of bees. So in real life, so I just ran away from them all screaming. <laughs> I just I, ran out of the room. I, I, I have a horrific fear of spiders, but thankfully the spiders in this game are really easy. So easy. No, the, 
the bees it's it's the fact that they've got like 16 cards in a beehive and they all do piercing damage so before the fight even starts two or three of your people are going to be dead um it, oh, it's don't go near bees just auto resolve those the auto resolve seems to take care of them much better than uh, i ever could um i i did have quite a lot of close encounters with the card system um there were occasions, like, the very first time I played, I decided that Warhammers were the way to go. Because Warhammers yeah. do blunt damage. And blunt right. damage hits uh, two cards instead of just one. Like, any extra damage you inflict after killing one card is carried over to the next. Um, and, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, that's, that's the best way to do it. And then in my next game, I went back and completely ignored Warhammers. I decided to focus on Swords and Shields instead. And that made my party incredibly difficult to kill because everyone who was in the support line had a really high shield ally uh, skill, which lets you essentially boost the health of uh, your previously played card. Um, and so in that case, I was kind of trying to figure out, okay, this guy's got low health but does quite a lot of damage. I can put two cards down before their turn, so if I put him down, and then I put one of my high health cards down, and then in the next turn, the first thing I'll do is I'll shield that ally. I, I did actually find myself making tactical decisions, um, part of which might also have been that in the customised difficulty options, you can actually set the maximum number of cards you can have in a hand. Um, so it is very easy if you're wandering in with a full party of 16 or something, but when you're limited to only having eight cards that you can play in a battlefield, things get a lot more difficult a lot more quickly. Party building is, is a lot of fun, actually. It is. In the, uh, it's when, probably one of my favorite aspects of the game, even though in the actual combat I just auto-resolve a hell of a lot. Um, yep. Because there are just so many stats, and I, I love that. That's brilliant. There are definitely too many, but I like having too many. Like, I like having to think about, like, this person has a little bit of stealth, so maybe, you know, I should start getting more stealth characters, and then that's how I'll start, you know, interacting with enemies. We'll sneak up to them first, and then just murder them all in their sleep. Or this person has, like, lore and intellect and intelligence, and there are certain quests that... I wasn't able to get like the suitable outcome without a smart party. So I'm going to build up these characters a bit more. It was great. I, I loved and hated that. I really hated the interface for that. Because there oh, are, yes. as, as, as you mentioned, there are like 40 different stats and they all do different things depending on what the cards challenge is. And relate to different things as well. Yes. Because like lore and intellect but... and intelligence, and all okay. them, they're all yeah. kind of like the same. And... We have to talk like, okay, let's talk about that interface a little bit, because the other thing is, <laughs> there is actually no good place in Thea to see this information. If you bring up your full character sheet, that's all you're looking at. It, it blocks out the, the rest of the, the interface that, that you probably want to see, because you actually need, you're, if you're looking at what a character can do, you're probably looking at that in reference to other things that, that you want to be dealing with. But no, no, you got to bring up the full character sheet and then you can sort of see it all in a row. I will say good tool tips, not bad for, for letting you know uh, what, what's going on and, and what that, what that ability is going to do. But a lot of times what you're doing is you're going to be in the, um, it's an inventory system, but it's also sort of your party builder. Uh, it's, it's kind of the same, it, it, it's the same window where on the left hand, you've got everyone, uh, left hand side, uh, left pane, 
you've got everything in your village on the, on the right pane. You got everything uh, in a given expedition. And uh, then in the bottom, you've got information about like whatever you're hovering over. And uh, a lot of times that's when that's actually what you're going to be looking at. Uh, that's where you're going to be looking at character info. And of course, the... that's a different tab from where you want to equip people. <sighs> oh, yeah. Well, well, we'll get yeah. to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like, yeah, Thea kind of balkanizes uh, the interface a little bit between things you, like the place where you would need where you need to go to get information is different from the place where you need to go act on that information. Uh there's a lot of choice between the inventory and the equipment uh, screens, which is which is odd. And then in that in that inventory panel, the uh, the, the little preview bar uh, is just not quite wide enough to display all your character info at, at a glance. And so there's a lot of like important information that's going to sort of be hidden below the fold. Uh, and so it's, there's this constant like sense of like hunting uh, to get to assemble a, a good picture of, of what all your what all your party can do. There's no good place to get an at-a-glance view of your party's strength at different sort of skill checks, which also leads to terrible encounters, like yep. one I had, where uh, I had to break a curse because uh, there's this like emo orc and emo elf that their love was forbidden, and it it ended badly, uh, as these things are wont to do in a fantasy universe uh, with a thousand-year curse. And uh, I had to break it. And it was like a two-skull ch two challenge, but hey, I could do it. It was a magic challenge. I was like, I don't know. I didn't know I had mages in this party. Like, wow. Like, you know, Sverog's Svar really learned a lot about, uh, a lot about, a lot about magic. Well, it turns out, no. Uh, nobody in the party had actually learned anything about magic. <laughs> uh, except, except for a pine cone. Uh, yeah, pine so pine cone demon. That I, I love that guy. That I found on a, on a quest somewhere. So I had this, I had this, <laughs> this pine cadet uh, hanging out with my party, who has you can you can't equip her with anything. Uh, the the pine cadet is just this magic creature, and the battle system was uh, because it's a card system. Uh, the the challenge cards all have their own like their their own sort of initiative value their own sort of attack and defense and i had a big party and only one character could actually do anything to these uh opposing magic cards so it was just round after round of me just putting up walls of characters around the pine the pine cone <laughs> for them to soak damage <laughs> while my crappy little like sentient pine cone mage sort of slowly chipped damage away uh from these challenge cards. Uh and it was like, oh my god, I think it was I think the sunset while this game, like the the the, the sun and stars, like <laughs> wheeled in the sky while this while this battle was going on, and eventually I won it just by just by repeating, just spamming cards to eat damage from these from these magic challenge cards. While my pinecone did four damage uh, each uh, e each each turn, and it just took ages. Um, but yeah, that it, it's it's little it's little stuff it's little stuff like that uh, that that can that can make the uh, a bit a bit aggravating and a bit weird. The, the first time the game actually introduced the idea of like you can have these card battles, but they're challenges rather than combat in the tutorial. 
Um, I got the option to to go hunt something for this little guy that is like the tutorial giver, and it it said, "Yeah, you you can go hunting." I'm like, "Well, this is exciting. I don't like fighting, but hunting sounds like a lark." So I'm like, "Okay, let's do it." But it turns out in my party, I had one man who had maybe watched one episode of Duck Dynasty, <laughs> and and that was it. And this is the bloody tutorial. So I'm totally confused because I'm looking at my cards, and it's like no damage, no damage. And I'm like okay, well, we're hunting, I guess, so I don't need damage, not realizing that <laughs> no. actually the damage represents your hunting ability. Because the card case. game never yeah. changes. Yep, it's identical, but you ju- it just uses different stats. Um, so I'm, I'm just really confused. Did this like one like person who'd watched Dark Dynasty had, like, was able to do like two damage? So we, we got like completely annihilated. Obviously, in those challenge things, you don't actually retain wounds. So afterwards, it was okay. But I, I, I was immediately confused. I didn't understand what I had done wrong. And this was a tutorial. And it, it didn't make clear what had happened. Um, and it took me a little while to realize that it was actually using different abilities and that it said it was a challenge I could do. But in fact, it was just lying to me. Um, yeah, it was really frustrating. Well, you should you should like you could have done it, Fraser. You just should have you should have just cheesed it the way I did, and you should have auto resolved is what it should have done, just and prayed. The part of the interface that I particularly hate actually is the equipment. Yes, um, just insofar as the equipment, it's defined like you might have a wooden shield. Everything is made up of two particular types of resource uh, a primary one and a secondary one and they each confer stats on it and the primary one determines what the item actually is like a, a mithril shield or something like that and the secondary one offers some bonus stats um and the problem i found was okay i've got three mithril shields uh two of them are equipped on people so is the new mithril shield I've got better than either of the ones on those two people? Which two people were they using those again? Okay, and what about everyone else? What shields are they using? There is no easy way at a glance to kind of optimize the equipment for your party. Um, and there were times when I was spending 10, 15 minutes in the equipment screen and going back to the crafting screen just to try and figure out what I actually needed to improve on. Uh, while sticking within each character's weight limits as well, and bearing that uh, in yeah. mind. Well, see, and this is the thing, right? Like, the, Thea is a game of mini games, and just equipping <laughs> yep. and managing your you, equipping your party and managing your your inventory is one of those games that you have to play again and again and again. Especially because as new good gear arrives, you want to put it with the character who's going to uh, be the most useful with it, and so there's this sort of like waterfall effect of okay. Lead fighter, you have the awesome sword now. Fantastic. Who's getting the 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 sword formerly known as the awesome sword, but which is now as the less <laughs> awesome sword? Uh, who's getting that? Okay, who's getting this this uh, upgraded shield? And so suddenly you're like, uh, you're sort of doing this tile slide game uh, yeah. with with all your all your equipment uh, as as the new stuff comes in for the top characters and the the worst stuff sort of trickles down. Uh, and you're you're playing that a lot and. I think this is one of the but he, this is actually one of the reasons Thea can be weirdly compelling because all of it does feel kind of good. It's it's tedious and this is this is actually why I sort of turned against Thea. It was always a game that like I could play I could play for hours at a crack. I played a lot of Thea. But every time I ended a long session, I had this sudden like feeling of horror where I was like, "Oh no. 
what 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 have I been doing this afternoon? What what like what really was I doing? Uh, it, it's a similar sort of that hangovery feeling I get uh, from a mediocre game of Civ, especially the late game where I'm just sort of stabbing and turn uh, again and again. Uh, but but this is a little more interactive. But but the point is like there's all these little things you can do that sort of hits that hits that it pushes that button for me. It gives me good feedback. Like, yeah, you, you look at look how much tougher that fighter is now. Look how much more damage she can do. Isn't that awesome? You did a good job. Way to, way to equip that fighter. You really equipped a good party, Rob. Look at all this good loot you brought in from your expedition. Look at all that look at all that meat. That's gonna be look, you can you can't just make one stew now. You got like four stews going. Good job, Rob. You guys are gonna eat like kings. Look at all those bonuses. And I just repeat all that. And it's like that feels good. But when I sort of stepped back, it was all very samey. It was like I was just sort of, I was basically just in the Skinner box for like six hours, just re- doing these tasks. And I'm not sure I was really thinking about anything. I was just sort of moving numbers around, uh, you know, in response to, to pretty simple uh, problems. So that's kind of what what I, what I sort of where I turned against the uh, a little bit because that's that's how it read to me at least. But but Troy, I think you you said earlier. Uh, enchanting uh, was 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 the word you used for this, and so I'm curious. Yeah. Like that was my reaction. Uh, where 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 did the spell of enchantment get cast on you? I actually like the writing a lot, and I like the setting, and I like the setup. I like the idea of taking these villagers and leveling up their gathering skills. I mean, how many other games have you leveling up gathering? Um, I mean, you can't do an Age of Empires. That's a game all about gathering. Uh, your your children come of age. You have to decide, okay, where do they fit? What's their job going to be? Do you need another warrior? Do you need a medic? Uh, so much of it is about bringing this you know, village, this tedious, tedious village with poor interface, <laughs> uh, making it, you know, kind of thrive a bit. And, you know, the thriving depends on people going out in the wilderness and bringing stuff back. Maybe it ties back to my Canadian Hudson Bay Company roots. You know, you send the Coureur de Bois, you know, over to Manitoba and they come back with furs. Hey, look, I got furs. We can make hats. You can't sell them anywhere, but you can make hats. Uh, magic, magic hats. I just, all of the little weird crafting stuff really got to me. Um, and I think, and it, it, the writing is, even if it gets repetitive, the more times you play, you know, the quests run into each, uh, they repeat a lot from session to session. That's to be expected, I think. It would be, be nice if there was more variety um, and more different types of stories being told. But, you know, trying to, get rid of a ghost or be a matchmaker between a demon and a dwarf. Uh, All of these weird little stories in this. I wasn't all that interested in trying to figure out, oh, what's the mystery of the gods? Where did the gods go? Who ruined this world? I really didn't care because I kind of like this world. I don't think it's ruined um, at all. So That's one of the things that you can do is you can actually, because there are different paths you can take in the, the kind of greater story. Yeah. So you can you can kind of try and fix the world or change it in a different way. Yeah. Or or keep it as it is. Yeah, um, and I think it's and I I liked it as it is. I mean, this is a mm. I the the enchanting really is it is a 
when it's a strategy game, it's not a good strategy game. When it's an adventure game, it's not a good adventure game. When it's an RPG, it's not a good RPG. But for some reason, all of these middling efforts made a game that I'm actually kind of fond of. I'm not going to go out and say this is one of the greatest games of the year or that, you know, it, it apparently won a ton of indie prizes in places and it's getting very, very good reviews. This is, you know, if I want to be, if I was if I was reviewing it, Rob, I would probably end up writing something close to what you wrote for RPS. It might be a little a little bit more friendly, but I really can't disagree with anything you wrote there. Uh, but it's a game that I, th- I, I I like it more than I like Banished. Though it's got a lot, I think, in common with Banished, uh, the city uh, builder from last year. It's a game that you know repeats itself, and once you find the formulas, it's a matter of okay, I got to do this again. Got to set up my research tree, and okay, I guess I'm going out looking for elf wood. Uh, where does the elf wood live? I guess I've got to build a stable because stable steady food. You know, it's the same steps over and over again. But I think it has a lingering charm that banished never quite got for me did any um, of you guys get a sort of king of dragon pass vibe yeah of course yes because it's, it's, it's that, felt that, very strongly of, of of that like uh i think it's particularly the kind of choose your own adventure style storytelling it, it, they... it, it, it's clearly one of the inspirations. I mean, be, yeah. and with a little bit more interaction with, with a little bit more development of your characters. It has characters just like um, King of Dragon Pass does, but the characters improve and they actually, you don't have to manage them. They don't fight against you. But yeah, the whole idea of a strategy game with adventure elements that affect the development of your town or at least give you rewards. Uh, yeah, there's certainly a strong King of Dragon Pass feeling here. I, I really wish that the events actually kind of remembered your previous choices. Um, hmm. Like, uh, in in one example, I helped out a bunch of orcs that were trying to excavate some ruins, and uh, they offered to exchange um, sort of one of their warriors for one of mine as kind of an, an ongoing peace thing, you know, for peace in the future, you know, we'll have a, a cultural exchange of fighters. And so I did this, and then the next time I met orcs, I was thinking, oh, that's cool, I've, I've got an orc with me. You know, this will probably result in a different encounter, because, uh, you know, he can do the, the talking to his own people. He can explain that we're not actually sort of roving, racist human monsters. Um, but no, there was absolutely no option for that. The fact that I had an orc and had previously sort of made a peace treaty with a particular group of orcs uh, had absolutely no bearing on the future decisions. And that did come as a bit of a disappointment to me. Well, that's just because you made a pretty racist assumption. Like, <laughs> what, all the orcs talk to each other? Like, no, no, no. This is one of the cool humans. Don't worry. We, we, we made a deal. Well, the fact that he was with yeah. me at the time, I mean, you'd think that maybe there would be a slightly different option there. Well, it's not um, even it's not even remembering previous decisions. If you look at how a lot of the dialogue trees go, uh, the encounter will actually only go one way, and it's very thinly disguised uh, because you'll 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 give you'll have an A or B option as to how to respond to something, and then the character will just say whatever they were going to say, uh, and it clearly only syncs up with like it only really matches up with one response you could have made, and it's only vaguely relevant to the to the other option you were given. Uh, and, and there's a lot of that throughout this game where it's like, oh, say, say A or B. Uh, well, we're just going to continue on with the uh, with the same path. And really, the decision you got to make is later when you give an option, when you're given an option between, you know, talk it out, uh, you know, fight it out or or something else. Uh, so, 
Yeah, I, 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 I can, I, I can understand a little bit, bit of that frustration. Uh, but, but I also do, feel, I, I do agree. There was, there was a the hefty element of, of charm here, uh, and, and degree of, uh, you know, sort of wittiness. Uh, really, for instance, like I got a kick out of all the, um, the magical academics. Uh, I kept running across yes. as I tried to unravel the, <laughs> the puzzle of what destroyed the world, and, uh, yeah, it was just perfect. It was like it was, it was exactly what like. Uh, tenured faculty wizards would get up to uh, over time, and it was it was always it was always fun, uh, you know, running across those guys. It was a pinch disc worldy at yes. times, which was lovely. There was there was a there was a a part where the railroading became really obvious, but I really really liked it. Is when you first start off the main quest, you find a corpse um, of an elf, and there's a scroll on it which tells you to go to these two locations. But you can actually choose. You have the option of take the scroll and read it, or no, this scroll looks useless, throw it away. And if you try to throw it away, the game basically goes, for some reason, you're compelled to pick up the scroll anyway. You're going <laughs> to have to read this. And I actually, much as that is blatant railroading, I actually found that kind of charming. The game has a sense of humor about this sort of thing. Yeah, Tim, I, I wanted to say, like, because, yeah, we know what, we know what Tim, uh, we know what Troy was sort of en enchanted by it, but, uh, you know, one of the things I was I was sort of noticing, uh, you know, following you on Twitter, was that you seem to just really be into the entire uh, experience and sort of lasting consequence of, of the entire thing, where you had fighters running away to get married with with other characters <laughs> and uh, all sorts of goofy stuff happening, which happened to me a little bit too. Like uh, I had one of one of my characters wander off to marry. Um, one of those uh, like water nymph seductress type characters, uh, right. and then she joined uh, my party actually, and suddenly we were just rolling rolling through those social challenges uh, right and yeah. left because you know she 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 shimmered and, and wriggled seductively, uh, and and suddenly just like putting down that putting down that speech damage. Uh, it was great, uh, but I'm curious like what 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 sort of cast the spell over you? I don't think it was any one thing in particular, honestly. I think it's it's just kind of everything. I mean, I started playing this, I think the, the code for this came in, and I had absolutely no intention of reviewing it. But we got code, um, and I think I was playing Just Cause 3 or something like that at the time. And so I thought, okay, this, this sounds interesting, a sort of 4X roguelike thing. Uh, and I started playing it, and... I I just found it interesting. I liked that there were all these little systems. And then the more I played it, the more I kind of got into these systems. And some of them I completely figured out. Um, like the card game, for instance. And some of them I'm still sort of working my way through now. Um, it's, it's not the sort of game where every time you play it, the experience is different. And I really wish it was. I wish there was a lot more difference between games. But it does give you a lot of options, and I quite like games where I'm essentially trying to stave off failure for as long as possible. And putting this onto the higher difficulties gives it a really good experience of that to some extent. Um, it's, it's a game that is so difficult to describe, it's so difficult to sum it up. It's, it's almost everything about it. As Troy said, the writing is quite charming, there's some entertaining anachronisms in there. Um, you know, the world itself is fairly interesting. The card battles, most of which can be auto-resolved, some of them are actually tense and require some tactical thought. Um, 
the crafting is really compelling because I found myself sitting there going, okay, do I want to put a ruby into this item or should I use some of my elven wood instead? Uh, what else could I use these for? What sort of bonuses will I get? It's, it's just the sort of thing that I found was very, very good at kind of sucking me in for three or four hours at a time. Um, not something I was necessarily playing sort of full screen in and of itself. I'd maybe have something, I'd have the TV on in the background or something, so I wasn't giving it to my fullest attention. Um, but in terms of just something that felt like a pretty good way of spending time with, that was kind of where it got me. I realise that's not perhaps the, the greatest defence of the game, and I've spent quite a lot of time complaining about it, but it's like Troy said, there's just something about it. Um, some indefinable je ne sais quoi that kind of has, has kept a hold over me even now. Out of interest, how long have you guys played this for? How many hours have you spent in Thea? Uh, I'm like 20 hours in. Yeah, I'm a little less than that. I'm about, I'm two games in. Yeah. I'm, However long that is, I don't have Steam up. I'm currently sitting on about 37 hours. Um, and nice. having sort of my, my most recent playthroughs have been the ones where I've been putting it on the highest difficulty possible and just trying to survive. And those are the ones where I've been having the most fun because there's been no tipping point where I've got a huge stack filled with fantastic equipment and I'm just roving through the countryside destroying everything. Um you know, I think you can only have a maximum of six cards in your hand in battle, uh, which really limits your options. You have to be very careful about how you equip everybody. And I do think that adds something to it. Um, but you're, you're, you're quite right. It's, it's not really a 4X game. It's not really an RPG. It would probably be better without some of the roguelike elements. Uh, but nonetheless, it... For what it is, for all of the failures it has, it manages to create something that is monstrously compelling and frequently creates these little stories. Like when my best warrior went off to get married to a dragon slayer. Was um, she really gone forever? Or did, the, the, did she come back? And then, or did that, did that plot ever resurface? No, nope, she was gone forever. Uh, I didn't see the plot resurface, but that was fairly near the end of okay. it. There was a huge dragon wandering around, and there was a dragon slayer who was also selling shoes, because there wasn't much call for dragon slayers. Um, <laughs> and he said that in exchange for the hand of a princess, uh, he would tell me how to kill the dragon. Um, and then he said, well, okay, you know, the world's been destroyed. Maybe not a princess, but, you know, one of your women, maybe. I'll, I'll take my choice. And he wound up walking off with my best warrior. Oh. And I, I, I killed a dragon out of it and got some uh, some dragon bone and yeah. dragon leather that I could use to make amazing equipment. But Did she leave her gear was... at least, or did she take that with her? She, she, she left her gear. She okay. left her gear. Yeah, at least, they um, don't, at, least, at least gear doesn't die with characters, or yes. I would... Ooh, again, that, anger. That would, that, would, that would make it yeah. hugely frustrating. It's strange um, that the game has so many fun little stories and, and choose your own adventures. And I, I adored them. And I, that's what kept me playing, even when I kind of got a little bit bored. Um, but it, it never feels alive. It's a mm -hmm. static world. It never changes. And I think one of the reasons for that is because unlike a normal 4X game, you have no opponents. Your village is basically the only one. There are no competitors to speak off. There are roving monsters and you will come across like towns and cities and things like that that are in various kind of 
that were like ruins mostly. But you're never there's never a, a competitor, never another god that you're you're fighting against. Which also is why uh, Tim, you were saying one of the the issues that you had, and one of the reasons you liked the early game was because by the late game you're just you know stomping through everything and just annihilating yeah. everything. That's because you have all the time in the world to do yes. that. Um, you probably like if, if there was some sort of balance, then or or like a sort of not a time restraint, but something forcing you to action um, or challenging you more, um, you might not be able to get mm. so powerful because you're well, having to deal with different problems. I really miss said, that's, that. That's, that's why I like it so much on the higher difficulties, is because mm. you are under serious threat. You are going to be coming under attack from huge stacks of enemies fairly quickly. So making smart decisions in terms of whether to send your expedition out uh, where you're going to gather, how you're going to focus your research is crucially important. Because if you're not well enough equipped to defend yourself by sort of turn 50 or 60, you're going to lose. Um, and that kind of did add that element of threat for me. I might have to crank up the difficulty then because I'm, I'm, I'm not done with it yet, I don't think. Um, I think I'd like to unlock some more gods. God knows why, though, because the, <laughs> they're not really relevant at all. There is, um, yeah, there is, there is what, one, I think the god quest is the only thing that's actually different, and there are maybe a couple of little interactions that change. There's flavour stuff, and then you get yeah. some, like, stat bonuses and things like that, but it's very peculiar because it, the game is framed as this sort of, like, god game. You are literally playing as a god, and yet you're not at all. Yeah. You're seeing through the eyes of your people, of course, but it's not like, it's nothing like Populous or anything like that, or any sort of god sim. Um... The fact that you're a god is, for 99% of the game, entirely irrelevant. Um, it's very strange that it's still framed in this, like, you are an awakened god trying to rebuild humanity. But you're not, really. You're a little <laughs> crappy village. That's it. <laughs> Do you know what? This is, this is a really esoteric reference. Have, you, have any of you heard of a game called Black Closet? Nope. Uh, I have nope. not. It's a game... <laughs> And there is no way to make this sound good. It's a game in which you're the head of a school council at an all-girls school, and you uh, have to resolve issues. Where are we going issues. with this, Tim? <laughs> there, is, there is a reason with this. They think you have to resolve podcast. issues by using the student council to sort of spy on people and unravel mysteries to keep the school's reputation high. And a lot of people drew the analogy between this and another game called Floor 13, which was pretty much the same thing, only the British government, um, a sort of secret department. And the developer came out and basically said that they based it on Floor 13, but had never actually played Floor 13. And playing Thea, I'm kind of wondering if this was developed and designed by people who'd kind of heard about Sorcerer King and King of Dragon Pass... <laughs> and kind of built the game around what they'd heard, their sort of own take on elements of those particular games. Um, I'd, I'd have no idea whether that's true or not, but I would be really curious to know what their inspirations were for this, because I did definitely get a feel of it was kind of trying to be a bit like King of Dragon Pass, it was kind of trying to be a bit like Sorcerer King in the, in the sense that there weren't really opposing factions that you were competing with so much um that was that was sort of the sense i got from playing this it's funny that this is the first time that we've actually mentioned sorcerer king in this chat yes because actually they there are strong 
similarities or some of them are superficial like the they're, they're both kind of a, kind of post-apocalyptic fantasy worlds and things like that um but since those are actually quite rare things they uh yeah, yeah. Oh, the Sorcerer King, I think, sticks much more in the... Even though it attempts to do something different, I think it ends up oh, being a much more conventional 4X game. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's a yeah. proper 4X game. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Like, <clears throat> And this is the thing I struggled with when I was writing this review. I knew my reaction was an intensely personal one. That, like, You know what I mean? It was like you people could look at the same set of facts and, and parts of this game and come away with completely different... Uh, feelings about it and there wasn't anything like i couldn't say well this is this is a this is this is not executing this type of uh game mechanic really well i think i've seen it done better elsewhere because really a lot of this i'm seeing for the first time in thea and so i'm just I, I was having this really uh you know personal reaction without without much frame of reference for for other things that were sort of working in, in that vein because thea is kind of it's it's off doing its own thing and uh you know it's if, if for me for me it fell flat because it sounds like we're all in agreement on the fact that all its various parts aren't really that great. They aren't really like, you know, everyone's auto resolving combat. Everyone kind of hates like messing, messing around with the, with the interface. Uh, and so for me, like, I guess like we all get to the end of this and I look at you guys and I'm like, how are you okay with this? But I, but, I, but I understand. Like, but then I did sort of cheerfully play. Well, not always cheerfully, but I did play uh, twenty hours of this game, and a lot of that, you know, felt like felt like time well spent. Uh, so I mean, you know, I I, I kind of get it. Uh, but for me, it's a it's a very odd thing to hear. We all kind of agreed that like huge swaths of this game just aren't that good, and it kind of throws it all together. And well, you know, it's the food here is really terrible, but such big portions. <laughs> Thea, the awakening. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if one of the reasons that we've all weirdly enjoyed it, despite all of these problems, is just because the 4X kind of landscape is a bit shit at the moment. Because uh, maybe that's a bit harsh, but it, I am a bit bored of 4X games. We've had a hell of a lot of them, and. They never feel different enough, um, other than like a few standout examples. And and I, yeah, I st- I like the genre, and I want to keep playing loads of four X games. Um, but at least Thea actually feels completely different from any other four X game that I've played. I mean, to the point where it's not really a four X game, but it still has enough of the elements that I kind of I get that same you know that that same itch is being scratched. Um, it feels properly new, and maybe that's what has kind of gripped us uh, a little bit. I, yeah, I, I mean, think that, you might have a point there. I mean, that's why I was pushing on you, Rob, because this is a game unlike anything I'd seen before. I mean, the way this is why I was kind of saying, hey, have you tried this yet? Have you tried this? You should try this, uh, <laughs> because it is such an odd combination of systems. And I think it's a good, important reminder to us as you know, strategy game critics that, you know, Games are so much more than just their mechanics and how everything, how each subcomponent, you know, fits together. We talk a lot about mechanics on this podcast because strategy games are probably best understood uh, through their mechanics and what they mean. But somehow, you know, you you can't have you know average or below average mechanics that somehow fit together in a new and interesting recipe. I mean, as I said, I'm not sure this qualifies as a really good game, but it's a kind of game that we kind of need. We really need more of. I'm with you, Fraser. This is. I mean, this isn't. 
this isn't really a 4X game, but it's 4X-ish enough that I kind of want to see some of this stuff plugged in. Mm-hmm. This isn't this isn't going to go on my list of the best games of the year. It's certainly not an endless legend. But it's like, wow, someone's actually trying to make us one... It, it, it is a one-city challenge. It's like a sieve one-city challenge in a way. And you have to go out and bring the resources home. The harvesting is... This is a, a new way of harvesting where you you go out and, yeah, you're accumulating, you're piling up all of these food piles with your crappy warriors because I did a warrior start because I always do warrior starts because I'm an idiot not realizing <laughs> so how long it takes. It's, like, it's just like, oh, I'll need warriors because it's so dangerous out there. Not realizing these guys can't pick a berry to save their goddamn soul. <laughs> uh, but then they got to schlep the stuff back. I mean, just because you're gathering it doesn't mean you own it. Um, in many ways, this gathering system's kind of like what, you know, Paradox of the first Europa Universalis game. Okay, so you're holding the territory doesn't mean you own it. You got to sign the peace treaty first. Just because you're on top of the land doesn't mean you keep it. And that's changed, you know, how strategy games work with peace negotiations in very important ways. Seeing this type of okay, just because you have your 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 person's holding the log of wood doesn't mean you own that log of wood. You got to get that log of wood back someplace safe. Um, just that is just such a revelation in you know resource collection. I think um, so. Just yeah. So all of these new little systems really really work for me. All right. Uh, so I think that does it for this week's episode of three moves ahead, which is produced by Michael Hermes and hosted by the idle thumbs network. You can learn more about the show or discuss this episode with our community by visiting our website at three moves I'd like to remind you that this episode was chosen by our Patreon backers and to extend my thanks once again to all our listeners who have backed us on Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash three MA. It's made a huge difference and we're closing in on our first milestone actually, which is uh, very exciting. Um, Tim, before we let you go, uh, where can people find your work? What have you been up to lately? Uh, you can find my work on PCInvasion.com. Uh, I've actually largely been on sick leave recently, but uh, everything I write goes up on there these days. Great. Uh, so definitely check that out and uh, follow follow Tim on Twitter uh, at uh, you're just at Tim McDonald, right? At Tim the Hat. Tim the Hat. That's right. So follow Tim on Twitter at Tim the Hat. Uh, to hear about the latest misadventures in Thea and uh, the latest marriage news from the thriving village of Astoya. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. Good night, all. Good stuff. That was like therapy for me. I feel really good. <laughs>